Uh, if you're with me, give me an amen. Uh, first thing I want to say is Mary and Toby. Where are Mary and Toby? Okay. Do you know the hardest communication assignment is to do a brief but informative announcement? Give it up for Mary and Toby announcing the CMIT. I thought you all did excellent. You really did. I, I, I thought this. By the way, I, was, uh, I went to the CMIT, CMIT program. I started the CMIT program at uh, Central Washington University in 1912. like six of you that could do math in this room. By the way, last night, I said that math was evil, and I got rebuked for it from a math major. Where's my math major that rebuked me? And I just want to repent. I want to publicly repent. Math is not evil. Sever kind of. Don't have a bad attitude about math. I got how how honest do we want to be this morning? Do you really believe that? No, 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 no. I need your I do not have your attention yet. Okay, all y'all along the wall, find a seat, man. We gotta carry. Let me just have this. How it's a morning session. You guys want the lightweight, feel-good message, or do you want me to get honest? You all say that now. All right. Let's, let's try this. How many in this room, you are currently in a relationship? Listen, if you, no, I'm not talking with God. Come on. No. No, none of that. The Lord and I are dating. And he is my prince in shining armor. I don't want none of that. I'm not over-spiritualizing this. I'm talking real life. How many right now, if a person in this room came up and held your hand in a romantic way, you would not be surprised? Raise your hand. Sir, if you're Facebook, oh, well, a lot less hands right now. You, sir, in the front. You, sir, in the front. Where's your, you got a girlfriend? A fiance. You got a fiance. Yeah. Where is she? She don't. Well, apparently, he's not equally yoked because she ain't on the front row taking notes. Oh, say, hey, I, a minute ago, I asked you how honest you want me to be. And now you're mad at me. Your generation is getting married so late. Getting married so late. Why are you all getting married so late? I, don't, I have no control this morning. Shh. Now listen. My wife and I got married at age 23. I thought I was a late bloomer. Um, she broke up with me three times. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. She broke up with me three times. And she basically broke up with me all three of those times because there was a certain truth about myself I could not accept. Here's one of the things I've learned about your generation. And I say this in all love and kindness. No one believes in you guys more than I do. But there has been a thing in our culture that has caused a lie inside of you. And the lie is this. If I speak the truth to you about what's wrong in your life, you think I don't believe in you. If I tell you that you're on the journey to make a serious mistake, you believe I don't support you. 
when I speak truth to you that is uncomfortable, you say, why doesn't leadership believe in me? And it's not your fault, it's our fault. We have put this idea in you that the only way to love you is to speak to you. In, in a, so my wife, at one point, she broke up with me. She broke up with me at salt. Actually, not at salt. She broke, This is like the 500th salt I've been to. She broke up with me the day we were driving to salt. So on the way to salt, she said to me, there's this other guy. Yeah, I'm not making any of this up. Now, this other guy, I got to tell you this other guy, his name was Bob. He was a psychology major. He ended up being a nurse. Bob was, was the same height as my wife. So when they were together, they looked like two little cupie dolls. They were so cute. And he had this full, rich head of hair. He had good style. And his parents had old money. And he was a listener. I'm not a listener. I do not do well at listening. Bob was like, hmm, yes. Like he'd say, what I hear you saying, that was so good. And... And Bob had direction, and Bob had a vision for his life. I was an ADHD Pentecostal art major with no clue what I was doing the next week. I didn't know when I would do laundry next. And my wife said to me one day, my wife, my girlfriend at the time, she said to me, she said, you know, there's this guy named Bob, and, she, you know, I realize is that I deserve better, and I need more, and I don't really need a man in my life who needs me. I only need Jesus, and being hanging around Bob made me realize how less direction to you. And she said to me, Kurt, not everyone likes everyone. For instance, I do not like you. She didn't say it in that particular tone of voice, but that's what I heard. Side note, can I talk side note? Women, look at me. Men do not speak hint. You're hinting. You're hinting. I have gotten in trouble for saying this in front of college students before, but I'm going to keep saying it. Men do not speak hint. So when you are, women, you are so incredible because you speak, you're trilingual. No matter how many French or Spanish classes you've taken, no matter how much Swahili and English you speak, you are trilingual. All women are trilingual. Women speak vocabulary. They have more words and more descriptive words than men do. My, my, my wife uses the word for a color called chartreuse. I was an art major. I still don't know what color that is. Okay? Number two, women speak inflection. A woman can make any phrase mean whatever she wants that phrase to mean. She could say, I love you with all of my heart, and what it really means is I want to claw your eyes out right now. She could do that by inflection. A man barely speaks cave. G-Jet, eat dining hall. And women, third of all, they speak body language. You're walking down the hallway with your girl, and another woman comes, and you walk by them, and they don't say a word, and your, your girl goes, I cannot believe that. <laughs> what? Did you see that? Did you see that? Oh, see what? What she did. Who? I didn't even know she was there. Her right eyebrow said something to me about what happened at small group last week. 
and I, this I can't, and I've been praying for her and everything, and still she did that right eyebrow right at me. Men do not understand these languages. So when you're trying to break up with him by just being mildly rude, it won't work. Are you guys still with me on this? If you're going to break up with the guy, stick the knife in, turn it, pull it out. Who is Jesus? Put the slide up there. Jesus is the truth teller. We are so skilled at lying to ourselves. Lies we tell ourselves. I will only eat one Oreo. Come on. Here's a big one. I'm going to study tonight. Man, that's it. This is the semester where I get straight A's. This is the semester I do it. I'm going to study tonight. Right after the dining hall, I'm going straight to the library. As soon as we get done watching that one episode on Netflix, I'm going straight to the end. And we're going to, as soon as after the nap, we're going to get some yogurt. Just some yogurt. Just a little you fro yo. We're going to do that. And then I'm going to study right after we actually go over to so-and-so's. Can you believe we've never been over there before? And then it's 3 a.m. tomorrow, baby. Tomorrow. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? I will have abs in three months. Yeah, it's all right. I'm doing it, man. I'm working out, man. This is it. I'm going to feel that burn. You know what? Fast walking is also good. It's also fast walking is good. Here comes a car. I'm running again. Car's gone. Who? I'm just going to watch one episode. The next episode will start in five, four, three, two. You're a failure. <laughs> what is the context of John chapter 3? The context of John chapter 3 is Jesus taking the opportunity to come to a man who does not think he needs correction and speak the truth to him. And John chapter 3 is all about Jesus showing how much he loves Nicodemus. We love to preach about how much, John, how much Jesus loved the woman at the well and how much Jesus loved Zacchaeus and how much Jesus, Jesus loved Pharisees. And Nicodemus is the chief example. And in fact, this is so powerful because Nicodemus had so much more to lose than the outcasts that Jesus is famous for accepting. Who is Nicodemus? Let's get some context here. Nicodemus is a know-it-all. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Who are the Pharisees? Now, we have a misconception about the Pharisees. We think that the Pharisees were the old, stodgy, grumpy people. Pharisees were the reformers. The Pharisees were the ones that felt the burn. Is it too late for that? We too past that edge of that election? The Pharisees were the, the Pharisees were the left-wing reformers. I'm not talking about American politics right now. I'm telling you who they were. The Pharisees were the ones who were saying there's too much collusion, there's too much corruption, there is too much 
uh, a power and authority in the upper class of the Sadducees. Who are the Sadducees? They were the ruling civil religious people that didn't believe in miracles or the eternity, and they held all the power, and they were in collusion with the Herodians. Who are the Herodians? Herodians were the relatives and cabal of Herod who were really good at building big things and making money. If you ever go to Jerusalem, you see all the big buildings that were made by the Herodians. So that Sanhedrin, they were the ones that were actually kind of trying to hold power, were in collusion with the Herodians. Who were the Herodians' inclusion? They were in collusion with the Romans. The Pharisees were the reformers. When Jesus comes and rebukes the Pharisees, he's rebuking the reformers. He's rebuking the people that we would look at and go, those are the people risking it all to get things right. Who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the ones who said, we've lost our holiness. We've lost our purity. The reformers, the Pharisees were the ones who were saying, we need to get back to what God originally intended. The only problem with the Pharisees in their Make Jerusalem Great Again campaign is that they believed a lie. And their lie undid all of their revolutionary zeal. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. There were six, only 6,000 members of the Pharisees. Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin. That means he had a Senate position. But it was more than a Senate position. It was, it was like if you were a university professor and you held a Senate seat and you had a popular TV show. It was in a social, academic, and political way a very powerful position to be in the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus memorized the Torah. Nicodemus was an academic. Nicodemus was a smart man. Nicodemus had a SAT score higher than most of you. Nicodemus followed the Mishnah and the Talmud. Nicodemus was highly educated, and yet the lie he believed undid all of his great motive for reform, powerful position, and great learning. What was that lie? Let's go ahead and read through the passage. You're still with me. Give me an amen. amen. Now, there was a Pharisee, a reformer, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi. Now, there's two things. A lot of times people preach this passage and say, ha, Nicodemus came at night. He was such a chicken. That's, that's not a very good way to preach this passage. Listen to me. I don't care how or when you come to Jesus. Nicodemus gets credit for showing up. And he says Jesus is a rabbi. Jesus didn't have any of the right degrees or go any through the right process. He wasn't in the right schools. There was a very elaborate process to get to the point where someone called you a rabbi. Nicodemus shows that he's on at least the path of an honest seeker, at least the path of someone who's reverent saying rabbi. I think the reason Jesus speaks so much incredible truth to Nicodemus in this passage is because he starts off by acknowledging that Jesus is a teacher. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus, the more you claim to be close to God, the more direct Jesus will be with you in his rebuking of your lies. And this is what happens in verse 3. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now this is a shocking, scandalous answer to Nicodemus. Way more scandalous. So we have John 3.16 on everything. People with afros at football games and everything. We've lost the power of what Jesus is saying here. Here's what, what Nicodemus expected to hear. He said, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless, acceptable answer number one, you are related to pure Jews. If Jesus would have said that, no one can see the kingdom of God unless both your mom and dad are pure Jews. Nicodemus would have said, I agree with that. Answer number two, he said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they perfectly obey the law. Nicodemus would have agreed with that. 
Number three, here's one that Nicodemus might have agreed with. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are prosperous. These are all three lies that Jewish people believed when Jesus came. That to get into heaven, you had to have pure parents. Or to get into heaven, you had to have a pure obedience to the law. Or to get into heaven, you had to show that you were prosperous. Why? Well, if you're prosperous, obviously God had blessed you. Rich and getting into heaven, same thing. And by the way, that's very true in many cultures still around the globe. What Nicodemus didn't expect to hear was this. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're wearing a diaper. He did not expect that. Verse 4, how could someone be born when, when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely we cannot enter this a second time into the mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly. By the way, the Greek here is the word amen. You'll see this a lot in John. He, truly, truly, amen and amen. So be it, so be it. What Jesus is saying here is, this is the way it will be. This is the way it will be. Amen and amen. I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. If you're writing notes in your um, um, Bible, circle that flesh gives birth and, and write willpower. But spirit gives birth to spirit. And you're going to write phrase that, circle that phrase and write grace power. Verse 7, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In other words, it's not your own effort, but submission to the Spirit of God that causes someone to be born again. Verse 9. How can this be? Nicodemus is just completely confused. One of the beautiful things about a real learner is that when they don't understand, they say they don't understand. It's a powerful thing. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do not understand these things very truly, I tell you. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still, you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things you do not believe. Then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? You see, all of Nicodemus's, why master this material? All of Nicodemus's great learning, and all of what he learned was great and powerful, but all of his greatest learning was undone by one lie. One lie. And this is the same with you and I. You can have the greatest SAT scores. You can have the greatest GPA. You can be a person that's got actually great emotional EQ. You have many, many friends, and you know how to make connections. You can be a sort of person that has much in your favor in terms of what your skills are or what you have mastered. And one lie at the core of who you are can undo your entire life. The opposite is also true. The truth, one truth, can overcome a multitude of deficiencies in your life. You could be struggling in multiple areas, and if you get the truth, what did Jesus say? You'd be set free. That's right, Joe. Three truths from chapter three. Three truths from chapter three. Are you ready for the truth? Are you guys ready for it? See, you're less ready for it than I thought. You're, you're yawning now. Sit up in your chair. Take oxygen in. If someone is sitting next to you and they're sleeping, pinch them. In Jesus' name. Just go ahead and pinch them. Three truths from chapter three. You ready for the truths? Number one, you must be born again. Turn to your neighbor and say, wow. You must be born again. Now, here's why... I, and I, and I, I tried to, I was thinking about putting this in a lot of creative language, and finally I thought, I'll just quote Jesus. Um, 
And the reason is, is we don't understand. How many here, you have, you own a human. You own a human. Parents, raise your hand. You pay for them, you own them. No, no, you do. Some of you are offended by that. No, no, you wait till you have a kid. Raise your hand if you don't. Okay, so you don't, you don't have a child. You, have, you or your spouse or your girlfriend have never, you don't have a child. Raise your hand if you don't have a child. Okay, so you don't have no, you have no idea what this, this verse means until you have a child. See, first of all, you have only, the only birth you've seen is in the movies, and in the movies, it's very fake. So in the movies, the baby comes out, and they're like, wow, wow, like that. They cry like, wow, and you're like, oh, it's so beautiful. It's not like that at all. It's not like that at all. First of all, when they come out, can I just really be honest? They're super ugly. When they come out, they're super ugly. They're, so, they're like lizard people. They got way too much skin. They're wrinkly. They got a blue tinge to them. They got this white muck all over them. Come on, someone knows what I'm talking about here. And they don't cry like, Wah. you know what they cry like? They sound like little baby guts. And they are so dependent. Oh, my goodness. They, for years, for two years, they cannot poop on their own. Oh, that was funnier than the laugh I got. You know why you should treat your mom nice? Because for two years, she helped you poop. That's right. I said it. I had, I had every single national district leader in my home once when I lived in Springfield, Missouri, and I was trying to ask them all to give all this money to Chi Alpha, and I hadn't made all these desserts. It was nice, and these big wigs are in my thing. And my daughter runs into the middle of the gathering, and she's naked from the waist down. She says, Daddy, I want poo-poo. I went, I did the poo-poo. It's like, oh, Lord, it's the end of Chi Alpha. You know what they all did? They were all dads and moms. They went, yay, good job. Yay, good job. How many here, you're married. You're married. Raise your hand if you're married. Okay. How many here, you have more than one child under six years old? Keep your hand up. More than one child under six Okay, I got a rule. I want to speak this rule. If you do not, you're not in this stage yet, you remember this rule because you will need it when you get to that place. And the rule is, no matter what you would score your marriage on a score of one to ten, when you are married with more than two, two children under six years old, you get to add three free points. So if you think your marriage is four, it's not a four, it's a seven. Rejoice. If you think your marriage is a five, it's a horrible average five. No, during that season, you're an eight. You should be writing a book and speaking at conferences. Because when you have a small child, they are dependent on you. you got to put little fists through little jackets. And you got to put little socks on chubby little toes. And they can't even feed themselves. This is an 18-month-old trying to feed himself. Mm. Mm. That's what they look like. I remember the day all three of my children walked out of the house and into my Dodge caravan and buckled themselves in by themselves. And I looked at my wife and said, we might just make it. We might make it. What is Jesus saying here? What he's not saying is that being born again is an emotional experience. What we have made born again into is this cascading, ascendant, emotional experience. And some of you are not wired for that. Some of you, during all of that great worship, you sat back and went, how come I don't feel things the way everybody else feels stuff? And the reason is, it's because you're good at math. We're all wired a little differently. And if you don't have access 
to transcendent, by the way, I've found people that have less access to transcendent emotional experiences. When they do have them, they're deeper and more powerful, so don't give up. But I'm just saying, your relationship with God is not about how much you want to get to the front and dance. You know all them people that came up to the front and worship? They're awesome. I love you. Don't stop doing it. But they're all the extroverts. And the extrovert could be up here doing this and on the inside go, I hate my life. (laughs) And an introvert could be in the back going, I am really getting out there for God right now. I'm just, (laughs) whoo. Oh my gosh, I'm laying it down for the Lord. I will become more ridiculous than this, God. Yeah. Born again is not, you can have an emotional experience. It doesn't, if you've had one, it doesn't mean you're born again. Born again means you become a baby. See, we, see, we have sanitized the birthing process. What happens to Nicodemus when Jesus says you must be born again, he immediately goes, literally goes, I can't get back in my mom. See, he's thinking about how vulnerable. You know how many children didn't survive in the time of Nicodemus. Jesus is using the most powerful metaphor for dependence he can. What Jesus is saying is it doesn't matter how much you've learned, access to the kingdom of God is not the purity of your parents or the quality of your education or the prosperousness of your bank account. Access to the kingdom has to do with total surrender and dependence. When you yield, you enter. This is what he says over and over and over and over again. He who loses his life, what? Gains it. This is just one metaphor, a powerful metaphor he uses, saying you must become 100% baby-like. You see, what the problem with this is there's this lie inside of us. And, and you guys know what a scale is? Like, not the scale in your bathroom that you get on, but, but like a scale. You got a picture of that scale? And, and that's the scale. And the problem with this is every single one of you, inside of your heart, you have this scale. And here's what you're telling yourself. You're saying, if I get the right score, I'll get into the right university, get into the right program. If I say the right thing, if I tweet the right thing, if I text the right thing, if I actually do the right thing, if I'm a, and you're keeping score on your life. And on one side of it is all the good things that you're doing, and on the other side of it is all the failures you have. So you watch a site that you know you shouldn't watch on your phone. You, you add a little bit to the condemnation side and when you're nice to someone that doesn't deserve it you add a little bit to the good side and you're living in this constant tension of can I build up more good things than bad things in your life and you know in your heart of hearts that you can't you know in your heart of hearts in the end that the bad side will win that you are not going to do more good things than than bad things and you don't even realize what is the good thing and what is the bad thing and so you walk in the anxiety of I must earn my way into God's favor you are in the tyranny of trying to convince the creator to love you Nicodemus knew all 613 laws of Moses he memorized the Mishnah which takes those 613 laws and expands them. In the Mishnah, there's 24 chapters on the Sabbath alone. And then he memorized the Talmud. That's the explanatory commentary on the Mishnah. There's 156 double pages on the Sabbath. He had memorized 
the law and the laws about the law and the laws about the laws about the laws. And he had not known God. Even with all of that knowledge, he laid on his bed at night and said, I don't feel close to God. See, in my mind, what caused Nicodemus to seek Jesus out was insomnia. In my great learning and accomplishments, I know in my soul, I don't know God yet. Here's my advice to you. Stop trying to make the scale tip in your direction. It will not. Stop trying to earn God's love. You cannot do anything to earn God's love. Listen to me carefully. You can't do anything to make God stop loving you. Because you never did anything to make him start loving you in the first place. Number two, write it in. Number one is you've got to be born again. Number two, this is so beautiful and powerful. And if you get this, you'll just be liberated. You can't change you. You can't change you. It's futile to change you. You can't change you. You and I need to be in the vine to change. You see, willpower is the lowest form of power. What is willpower? Willpower is, I'm going on a diet. How many here have ever went on a diet? Raise your hand up high. I'm not going to eat any more cake. I'm done with cake. It's all broccoli from me. Broccoli and brown rice, man. That's all I'm doing. I'm doing keto. I'm doing keto, man. I'm doing intermittent fasting. What's intermittent fasting? I don't eat until I do. That's the intermittent fasting. <laughs> and the second you proclaim to the world that you're on a diet, cake will come into your life. How many know what I'm talking about? Cake from every corner. There's one demon assigned to giving you cake. That's all that demon does. Your roommate brings the cake home. You're like, I'm not going to eat that cake. I'm not going to eat that cake. I will not eat that cake. I will not eat that cake. I'm not doing it for abs. I'm doing it for my health and well-being, but I hope I get abs. I will not eat that cake. I will not eat that cake. I'm not going to eat that cake. I'm only going to nibble that cake because nibbling is not eating. Just a little taste, a little treat, a little cake Sabbath. That's all I'm talking about. Just a bite or two or three. Oh, God, gosh, don't. I ate that cake. What else is there? There's Captain Crunch. I'm going to have some of that. Do you know why I ate that cake? To save my roommates from eating that cake. That's how good a cake person I am. Let's talk about Buddy the Branch. Buddy the Branch. This is you, Buddy the Branch. So now Buddy the Branch, he wants to have a great life, a significant life. He wants to do what he wants to do and be who he wants to be. And so what Buddy the Branch does is he tries, takes all the information in, and he tries to have as good a life as he can. So the first thing he does is he goes down to the attire store, and he buys himself a jersey, and then online he gets some Yeezys. So Buddy the Branch is now walking around campus, and he is styling, man. He is styling. And then he got to get rid of his old cracked phone so he goes into the AT&T, and they're like, man, if you sign up for 10 years, we'll give you an iPhone 10. So boom, he gets the iPhone 10. And then what he realizes is that he needs some wheels. He needs some wheels. And so they got a lease program. It's $149 a month. He can afford that. So if he has to put $4,000 on his credit card, down payment for that lease deal. But that's all right. That's all right because he's on his way. And with that jersey and with those Yeezys and with that phone and that car, he gets himself a girlfriend. That's right. Barbie is walking. <laughs> 
on the campus hanging on to his arm. She's glittered up. She looks fabulous. Other guys are like, how did you do that? And then he puts his nose down to the grindstone and gets him a degree. And he finds that degree is helpful in getting himself his first job, a dream job. He's got his W-2. He's sitting at his desk. He's filling out the form. He's so happy on his way home from his first day on his job, he buys himself a Labrador puppy. This man is killing it. He's killing it. But a year in, he's totally defeated. He's 28 years old and already on depression meds. Why? He's so deeply in debt, the phone, the car, and the degree. He got $160,000 of debt for a psychology degree. All right, that was too truthful. I'm sorry. <laughs> and you know what happened once he realizes he could never dig his way out of that financial mess? Barbie breaks his heart. Turns out, she's still in love with Ken. <laughs> and he shows up to that job. He works 50 hours a week. He's got to work on Saturdays. He's the low person on the totem pole. And it's killing him and crushing him because in his heart of hearts, he know that he wasn't bit, knit in his mother's womb to have that particular job. He did everything that everyone told him from fifth grade on. Here's how you get the right SAT scores to get into the right school, to get into the right program. Here's how you do the interview. Here's how you put your resume online. Here's how you write your introduction letter. He was great in the interview. He did everything they told him to do. And yet he shows up to work and dies a little more every Every single day. He comes home one day and the dog has peed on his Yeezys. I'm just going to let that sit for a second. Can I just speak to you really clearly? Your efforts to change you will only introduce burden into your life your efforts to change you will only create one thing a yoke for you you cannot change you the only way you can change is to be in the vine I said it to you last night John 15 1 in the vine it's exactly what Jesus meant when he said the flesh gives birth to flesh your efforts give birth to more flesh spirit gives birth to spirit what does this mean in a really practical way? You know, the vine, go ahead and put that picture up. The vine, when he says the vine, everyone in that agrarian culture understood that he meant grafting. What they would do is they would take the sturdy vine, the good vine, the fruitful vine, and they would take a branch and they would submit it into that vine. They would conjoin it in that vine. Why? Because you wanted the characteristics of the vine, not the branch. You wanted to produce it. God never has ever called you to create fruit. He's called you to produce fruit. There's a difference between you trying to grow the own fruit of your life and you being grafted into the vine. I looked this up on a science website. It reads like it's right out of a commentary about the life and teachings of Jesus. See, 
the thing is, the requirements of a fruitful graph are the exact requirements for what God wants you to do to have a successful life. Number one, they put those bullets up there. Careful cut to separate. This is a rejection of the past. What they would do is they take the branch, they would cut it off of the other branch, and then the other would be thrown away into the fire. There is a leaving behind of your own efforts to live your own life. Someone said it, I think it was, I think both Mary and Toby said it. There was a moment where they said, I had to die to me and my past and my assumptions. Some of you want to serve God, but only to the point where he doesn't mess with your assumptions. Some of you have never offered your future to God because you don't trust him, not realizing that you are so much less trustworthy with you than he is. There is a cutting away a separating. Then there's a clean joining. In the cutting, that's really important for the graph to work, all the debris has to be wiped away. All the cleaning has to happen. If you clean the graft, a bound will happen between the graft and the, the root that will be stronger than the original branch if there's any debris in there. And you know how they test them? At a certain point, the gardener just walks around, he pulls on them. And if there was any debris, they just come right off. Some of you, you're... you're, you're relationship with God is so fragile because you tried to bond, but you left debris. There's a concrete binding. There's a wrapping and attaching. There's literally even a glue that they use. And there's a clearing away of old materials. Once the branch is actually put in, a lot of the limbs on that branch are cut away so new limbs can come from the vine. That, that just simply means that you and I need to remain in the grace of God. How do you do that? You submit. You don't just sing the songs. You submit when you worship. You don't just come to church. You submit to the authority of the word of God. You say, God, this is my instruction. You can attend every Christian meeting you want, but if you're not in submission, if you're not in dependence as you're doing it, you won't remain in grace the opposite is also true some of you are like i don't feel god and i'd say how many times were you at church this 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 uh month oh i i had this and then i had that and they were doing something exciting over here well how many times are you have in your devotions well this and problem and we had finals and there was midterms you ever notice that midterms start the week after the term starts and go through the whole term there's always something. The biggest lie you could tell yourself is it'll slow down after this. You have to develop a regular pattern of dependency. Some of you are attending everything, but you're not dependent, and so you're not getting the benefit. And some of you are attending so rarely and so erratically that you're not in grace. You're not submitting. I, I've preached too long. I'm at 38 minutes. So let's, we've got to move forward. Uh, point three. Sin requires sacrifice. So we had a Fortnite tournament at our church. We had, listen, we had 2,000 middle schoolers come to our church and play Fortnite. We, we cleared our whole sanctuary. It was like a middle schooler's dream. People try to make church so horrible for people. We try to make church awesome for people. And so we had everyone bring their PlayStations in, and they set up all their PlayStations all around the place. And so my youngest daughter, she brought her PlayStation in. And, and, and we had, it, was, it, looked like, it looked like NASA. The whole thing looked like NASA. And it was all hooked up. The, the, the chief designer of Fortnite actually got on our Twitter feed and went, what the crud, we can't even do this. And we had it all hooked up to this one big screen, and, we were, and it, was, it was awesome. 
And then after, so we asked all these middle schoolers to donate their PlayStation for a night. So after the whole night's over, the kids are having fun, this, the youth, my youth pastor grabs my daughter's PlayStation, and he's, he's walking over to give it to her and tell her, thank you for bringing it in, and he trips, and this thing flies in the air, it hits the edge of a table, and it goes into a thousand pieces. I'm just, that's like her whole reason for living, and she's like devastated, and so she is shocked, and he goes, I am so stinking sorry. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and I, she really shocked me because she looked right at him, and lip quivering, and she looked right at him, she said, I forgive you, I forgive you. Now, isn't that what you want? You want the, we have this godly youth pastor who admits he made a mistake, he, he, and then we have this, like, incredible um, young lady who immediately forgives him. Now, all is good, right? No, because I got to buy a new PlayStation. <laughs> all is not good. The father has to pay the price. This is what Jesus is teaching, that you can have all the right information and even make the right response, but because of our sin, someone give me an amen, and failure, listen to this, verse 14, I didn't read in the notes, but Jesus, as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. The Son of Man must be lifted up. There is this theme of sacrifice in the Bible. Offerings before the coming of Jesus are this. There's a burnt offering, and that's a sacrifice to express devotion. There's a wave offering. That's a sacrifice to acknowledge provision. There's a grain and drink offering. There's a peace offering. There's a sin offering. There's a trespass offering, and I could go on. Why all of the sacrifice in the Old Testament? Why this theme? Why does Jesus bring this up to Nicodemus, who knows more about the Old Testament sacrifice than any of us in this room? Why? I repeat yourself. Does anyone here have a grandfather tells the same stories over and over again? See, what we repeat, what we find important. We repeat what we find important. What does God find important? The theme of sacrifice. All of these sacrifices in the Old Testament and this actual sacrifice passage here in John chapter 3 is God shouting throughout eternity, Sacrifice is coming. What did John the Baptist say? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you understand what Jesus did for you? I went to Jerusalem. Where's that keyboard? If you like that up for me. We know Jesus can't show up unless there's a keyboard. Anyone here been to Jerusalem? Been to Jerusalem? So I went, I went two years ago. I went with my youth pastor, Shane. And uh, if I come down here, is it, we're going to get feedback? If I come down here, I'm good, okay. Went with my youth pastor, Shane, and um, we flew into Turkey, then into Israel, flew back, Turkey, then to Israel. And on the way back, we had headwinds. So we got into Turkey. Our flight had been delayed by the headwinds over two hours, and so our connecting flight was just leaving. In fact, I had thought to myself, and I was so tired, and I was so, my children are genetically superior, by the way, and my wife is gorgeous, and I, was, I missed them so bad. And I was like, I'm going to miss this flight. We're going to have to spend a night in Istanbul. I was really discouraged. And, and Shane says to me, he said, don't be discouraged, man. We're going to run, and we're going to make the flight. I said, bro, the flight's already left. We get out of the plane, and one flight attendant, I don't know what, what, he, what he was doing, but he just said to us, San Francisco, San Francisco, if you run, you can make it. And about 30 of us on this flight just started running. Just all of a sudden, 30 of us just broke loose like gazelles, and we're running. And there's this lady about... 65 years old, she's running next to me, and we're running, and I was, at first I was like, I'm going to beat her, and then, 
And I was like, that's not a Christian thought. That's not a very Christian thought. And, and, we, and we, were, we were like 500 terminals away from where our flight was. And I was all tired and jet lagged. And my, my youth pastor, Shane, were running together. And he's looking at me. He's not saying anything. But what his body language says is, dude, you're so old and slow. And, um, and so I just look at him at one point And I said, go. Just go. Just go. And so he just takes off. And like in 10 seconds, I can't see him anymore. He's gone. And then I start doubting him. I'm like, he's going to go. He's going to get on that plane. And they're going to fly home. And he just left me here. And I was like, you said go. And I said, yeah, but he should have known not to go. And then, and then this lady says to me, she goes, is he going to hold the plane for us? I said, yes, he will. I kind of yelled at her. She's like, sorry. I just kept running. But inside, I was like, he's not going to hold that plane. He's not going to hold that plane. He's going to be about himself. And I tell you what, we ran around. Finally, we come around the corner, and I looked down, and I could see it from a distance. Shane is standing in the gap between the, the, the gangway and, and the terminal. He's standing right there where they got to shut that door, and he won't let him shut the door. And I could see the stewardess is, like, getting really mad at the flight attendant. She's, like, animated. I learned later, he, he said, what I did is he goes, I just stood there. And they said, sir, you have to get on the plane. He said, yes, ma'am, I will. They said, you have to get right now. He goes, I am. So they said, you're not moving. I am, I'm going to go. I'm going right now. And then they were like, we're going to call security. Yes, that would be important for you to do. And he, and he just stood there and lied on my behalf. And when he saw me, he said, don't stop. Don't stop. They're not leaving without you. You preaching a sermon to yourself right now? You better be. My friend. You're running and running and running to tip that scale to make God love you. What you realize is none of that running to produce the right life is going to produce anything but burden and fatigue and tiredness and yoke. There's only one reason to run. There's only one reason to run. It isn't to learn God's love. This is theological. This is biblical. This is the truth that God wants you to hear. You stop you're running after your resume. Stop your running after your appearance. Stop your running after acceptance by those who don't even know they've been accepted yet. Stop your running, except for one thing. Just run at Jesus. With all the dependence, don't lose the confidence. That Jesus is standing in the gap saying, everything I need to say and everything I need to do and every sacrifice I need to make, I will make for you. There'll be a spot for you. There'll be a place for you. We're not leaving without you. Can I have you bow your head for me? We're not going to do an altar call this morning. I just want to ask one simple question. First of all, I want to make a statement. I'm going to ask everyone bow, everyone right now, you and God. Tonight, I'm going to ask if you're born again. I'm not going to ask it right now. Because there's some of you that know you're not born again. And I, um, I don't want to introduce you to a premature birth. I want you to count the cost. I want you to encounter Christ. And there's some of you that think you've been born again, but what you're actually is your Nicodemus. You've been collecting a spiritual resume. By the way, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not the way you get in heaven.
question I really want to ask just with my last minute is if you have been trying to change you. If you have been trying to change you. If you have been trying to change you in any way, shape, or form. In a habit. In your history. With your relationships. With your future. If you have been trying to change you. Just raise your hand right now. you have, I know I told you to bow your heads, but if you have someone near you and dear you that you love, you have someone near you that's got their hand up, would you put a gentle hand on them? If you are sitting next to someone you do not know and they have their hand up, do not touch them. That is weird. Don't touch people you don't know. If you got someone near you, you can move. If you've got someone two seats away and no one is putting their hand on them, you can move. Lord Jesus, right now, we give up and we give in and we prepare our hearts for this evening Lord we're sorry that we have been trying to change us we accept your truth that we have to be in you and in grace to change do something more than emotion something, God. Let the grace of God teach us to say no to ungodliness, even in this present age. Jesus, do something. God, it starts right now by me admitting I can do nothing apart from you. And I can do all things through you when you strengthen me in Jesus' name. Father, this person that I'm laying hands on right now do something bigger than they ask or imagine. God, all day, begin to whisper to them in anticipation of tonight. Jesus, do something. We ask it in his name. And everyone said...